0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The Golden Globes last night were uh, as political as they were uh, entertainment. Uh, those that attended wore black and lapel pins saying, time's up. Uh, the Me Too movement also uh, obviously in full effect at the Golden Globes uh, last night. We're going to play you some clips here. Uh, this is, of course, uh, This is, of course, of the monologue and what Seth had to say. <laughs>
1: It's 2018. Marijuana is finally allowed and sexual harassment finally isn't. It's gonna be a good year. This was the year of Big Little Lies and Get Out and also the television series Big Little Lies and the movie Get Out. There's a new era underway, and I can tell, because it's been years since a white man was this nervous in Hollywood. (laughs) For the male nominees in the room tonight, this is the first time in three months it won't be terrifying to hear your name read out loud. (laughs) Did you hear about Willem Dafoe? Oh, God, no. He was nominated! Don't do that! Don't do that.
0: Uh, And of course, uh, Oprah Winfrey receiving an award had something to say as well.
1: A new day is on the horizon. And when
2: that new day finally dawns,
0: it will be because of a lot of magnificent women Many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men. You know, I don't know, does that seem a bit hypocritical to you? Uh, Because here's one of the most powerful women in uh, show business, and now here she is uh, acting as a ringleader. Where, Where was she a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago? Why does it take people of lesser stature than Oprah Winfrey to bring this to the forefront in the first place? Uh, why wasn't she leading the charge as opposed to jumping on board now? Just saying. Uh, here's what Reese Witherspoon had to say.
1: People out there who are feeling silenced by harassment, discrimination, abuse, time is up. We see you, we hear you, and we will tell your stories.
0: All right, let's bring in Scott Henderson, pop culture expert, Brock University. He's with us now. Scott, thanks very much for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this. Oh, good afternoon, Scott. So, your thought on the whole presentation and how it was different from other years?
3: Well, I think it was certainly a, a lower key Golden Globes in terms of the hosting. In terms of you know past years, that you know especially when Ricky Gervais was hosting, the focus seemed to be on the entertainment. This is the first big awards ceremony since the whole Me Too movement, and you know it, it feels like it changed Hollywood. But I'd want to wait a year or two to see if it truly is because. We're not that far off of Oscars so white, and Hollywood has very short memory for these things.
0: You bring up a valid point, Scott, and that was my next question. Uh, Obviously, uh, just with the whole fashion uh, aspect of it and everybody wearing black, and and usually with all these pre-shows, it's all the chatter about what everybody's wearing, which that didn't really, uh, well, I guess it did, but for different reasons this time. But does any of this change things?
3: Will will, Will it matter six months from now? You know, things like the Time's Up movement, which seems to be the kind of follow-on to Me Too, maybe this will change things. Maybe there's a a sense that the industry itself has to change, because, again, with, you know, Oscars So White, we see Hollywood do this, it feels apologetic, we see a raft of non-white nominees kind of come through, there's some nods to diversity, and then the next year things seem to slide right back, so... Will the same thing happen here? Or is this finally a change in which women are going to you know, start taking over more of the quarters of power in Hollywood and start to assert themselves more than they've been able to?
0: Uh, did it seem awkward listening to Oprah Winfrey stand up and, and cheer and, and get people going the way she was, almost accepting accolade for work that others have done? Uh, should the Oprah Winfrey's, the Meryl Streep's of the world, should they have been speaking up long ago on this, considering the, the sheer power they have in this business?
3: It's a really tricky question in a lot of ways, because a lot of this seems to have been some sort of open secret in Hollywood. A lot of the names that have been coming to the fore, the Harvey Weinsteins and others, people have been muttering about for a long time. So you wonder who knew, who has the power to stop these rumors and, what what are the fears around legalities of, you know, being an Oprah who maybe steps up, says something, and is hit with a libel suit and nobody else wants to speak up? So I, I err on the side of caution. I mean, I, I know the more powerful figures perhaps could have been speaking up, but what is it that silenced them as well is what I wonder.
0: Uh, it just seems that it, you know, that the, the, the very, uh, I don't even want to say the established artists, but certainly ones that are iconic in this business
3: almost seem kind of awkward with this discussion. Yeah, because they're the ones who continue to get the roles while the, you know, the ones who were facing the greater harassment, the Rose McGowans and others, have been shunned for a long time. Their career seems to have been derailed and people didn't know, well, what happened to that star? And so, you know, what is it about the ones who have succeeded? Were they too big to face the harassment, or have they just kind of pushed through somehow? We really don't know. I think there's still a lot more to the story that's going to have to come out.
0: Uh, Seth Meyers, in your opinion, on his job as host, obviously a tough job considering the the circumstances this year.
3: Yeah, I think he handled it well. I mean, his his comedy is usually topical. I think his best bits on his late-night show are his kind of... New style roundups and his ability to talk about current events. I don't think he's as much an off-the-cuff comedian the way, you know, we've had Tina Fey in the past and Ricky Gervais, as I mentioned. So he seemed to be the right host for this time because he really does do topical humor, and there's no way around it. Someone had to be addressing this from the get-go.
0: Did he play it too safe? Did he go far enough
3: or too far? I I think he played a, a nice, safe line. He... You know, it's the elephant in the room, and he yeah. acknowledged it, and his job is to, you know, set the tone by having some comedy in there, but, you know, the, the 2018, the marijuana finally allows sexual harassment isn't, you know, I think that plays that middle ground perfectly. It kind of gets a laugh around the marijuana joke, but then brings it home to say, hey this is the reality that we're dealing with. Uh, Did you find
0: that the jokes uh, were accepted differently depending on who the target was? For example, uh, Kevin Spacey versus Harvey Weinstein.
3: I think so. I think it's, you know, there there are some people who are just now pariahs and for the right reasons in Hollywood, and it's very hard to be addressing them and kind of, you know, joking about them, and it's not as funny. There's just so much more going on there. So, I think he played it safe. He, he tended to kind of target people who weren't involved. I mean, the, the jokes about names being read out, so that you know it didn't have to bring it home too much.
0: What do you think was said, Scott, behind the scenes? I mean, we know what this presentation was about. Uh, we know what they were trying to do. Obviously, it was organized in the sense on you know that uh, of what the protests were going to entail. But you know, when you get to those parties
3: and such, what do you think? They, what do you think they're talking about? I really would wonder that as well. I mean, is it just their next project? I mean, it's still ultimately an industry. It's a multi 1000000000 dollar industry. And I keep thinking as much focus as there is. I mean, there's so many names coming out and we have to imagine there's others who have yet to come out. There's so many more people working in the industry fighting against this. And so I'm wondering who's banding together, who's talking to each other. And Maybe we'll start getting some interesting projects. I mean, I think Barbara Streisand's comment, you know, she's the only winner in the Golden Globes history of the best director who is a woman. Mm. Yeah, there you had Greta Gerwig, whose film wins as best, you know, musical or comedy, not even nominated. So it suggests there's still a lot of work to be done. And I would hope that maybe some of these women are talking, saying, let's get those projects we have. Off the ground, and you know, this is the time, and we'll, maybe this is what will bring about the change. Do you think we'll see a movie about this, Scott? I think at some point there's going to be, whether it's a mini series or you know, a Netflix kind of series or a movie, there's going to be something that's going to be about behind the scenes in Hollywood. I think there's really a lot of interest there, and there's a lot of people clearly with the talent and the know how to kind of bring these stories to light.
0: But is that, a, is that a double-edged sword by even attempting that? I mean, you know, shining a light on dirty
3: Hollywood? Perhaps, but Hollywoods had that ability to recover. I mean, it you, know, you go way back into the 1920s and the Fatty Arbuckle scandal and, you know, eventually kind of led to, you know, not censorship, but the kind of regulation of cinema and, you know, the development of codes of, you know, what would be represented in, on screen and, you know, the kind of limits. So Hollywood had a, a good you know, history of cleaning itself up and responding. Now, whether this goes deep enough, that's, what I, that's my concern, is does it become another Oscar so white that, okay, we respond, and now we have an awards ceremony that addresses this, and the box has been picked and Hollywood moves on, goes right back to form.
0: Scott Henderson has been with us, pop culture expert, Brock University. Scott, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Just got. All right, let's bring in Donna Christie. She is Public Education Coordinator, Niagara Sexual Assault Center, and with us now, Donna, thanks for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to do it.
0: Uh, your thoughts on the protests we saw at the Golden Globes last night. Uh, do you think this will instigate change?
2: I think it will. I think it already has. Um, you know, I think that uh, the fact that such a powerful body like Hollywood is coming forward and talking about an issue which, quite frankly, has been happening not just there, but I think what you see is a symptom of what's been going on in society for a very long time in all workplaces. In all, you know, everyone, it's not hard to find someone who has experienced some kind of sexual harassment, sexual assault in their workplace, at school. This is what we deal with all of the time and have been. But I think it's great that. Um, they're bringing such focus and attention, and and it's a powerful movement. And I think it's we see um, that it's it's bringing other people, giving them the voice to maybe come forward and talk about it. So yeah, I think it's it's all good.
0: Why now, do you think? Why is this happening now, Donna? And, and, and you know, it almost seemed odd watching Oprah Winfrey stand up, and it was as if she was accepting accolade for others in the room. What about these other prominent, very, very powerful women in Hollywood who didn't step up sooner?
2: Well, I think it's part of the, you know, that's a good question, because I think it's, it's one that many people who maybe... Um, don't have the awareness about the issues, say to themselves, it's like, why, you know, why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say something? And I think we have to remember that things like sexual harassment in particular um, work on a continuum. Um, and And quite frankly, so does sexual assault. And by that, I mean, it's not just a one-off thing. It's not just someone walks up to you and grabs you, or someone walks up to you and and does something to you that's so overt that it can't be ignored. It usually doesn't happen that way. And particularly in a workplace, look at, you know, what we tell, we do a lot of of this kind of work in high schools for students who are going out to workplaces and, you know, it's about power. It's about the person who's doing it feeling like they, they have some kind of power over you. That could be that they're your boss. It could be simply that they're bigger or stronger, that, but, you know, most of the time it's that they've done this before and they've gotten away with it. And that makes it much easier for them to do it. it what it also does and what is more, more dangerous is that it normalizes it. So if you're in a workplace and you see someone makes a, a sexist joke and everyone around you is laughing, you're gonna, it's going to be that much harder for you to think, well, am I supposed to say something that offended mm. me but I don't know how to deal with it? But, look, everyone around me thinks it's normal. It's that kind of thing that happens in workplace after workplace. It happens when you're out with your friends. It happens everywhere. And it takes a lot of courage to be the one to say, I didn't think that was funny. Or, you know what, that offends me. Don't don't talk like that. Most of us, if we're really honest, when you're with your in your own comfort zone, when you're at, out with your friends, how many of us are going to say, mm, not funny? Mm. And that's where it starts and then when you add on the layer of it say in hollywood oh this is my first part this huge director has noticed me i don't have to you know work in a restaurant anymore and he does something yeah it's not that it's not that hard to imagine that people are going to say well okay i've heard he's like that he's just like that so and what am i going to do trade my career who's going to believe me and we know certainly in the case of Harvey Weinstein he women who did speak up years ago they didn't have jobs and you see that and so there's this sort of silencing that goes on around this whole issue that makes it you know makes it very difficult which is why it's so important that all of us and that's what we talk about all the time is the bystander effect we see stuff happening how many of us say something or, or how often do you hear, oh, yeah, I knew, I knew that was going on, but I didn't want to talk about it. Mm. That is the kind of culture that allows this to continue to happen and makes it so difficult for the victims to be believed, to be heard, to even think that they have a right to talk about it.
0: Donna Christie has been with us, Public Education Coordinator, Niagara Sexual Assault Center. Donna, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, The family gathered around the TV on Friday night, as many Canadians did, to watch the World Juniors gold medal game in Buffalo. The final was every bit as exciting as past tournaments, especially now Canada is back on top. The great thing about youth sport is there is usually a lesson to be learned in every game, and this one was no different. However, this time the lesson came after the game, ...when the Swedish captain was being presented his silver medal. After reluctantly allowing the medal to be placed around his neck... ...he then promptly yanked it off and then just tossed it up into the stands. Before any of us had a chance to react while we were watching it at my place... ...my 10-year-old son jumps up and yells, Did you see that? What a poor sport! We really couldn't comprehend what we had seen. We were surprised. Did we just see that guy chuck his medal into the stands? It doesn't take too much to have empathy for the losing team... It's expressed in their faces as they brave, as they bravely stand and watch the other team celebrate. We understand their painful disappointment, but that is sport, and more importantly, that is life. You don't learn from winning; you learn from losing. Winning is merely the reward. Even at the height of passion, to lose control of oneself in a loss disrespects the sport, the tournament, the players, the fans especially the young ones who look up to such individuals. If you can't handle yourself losing, perhaps it's a sign you are not yet worthy of winning. Feel free to offer your thoughts. You can send us a note at Thompson at 900chml.com. Uh, and, you know, uh, a lot have said and a lot of you know, made comments uh, over the course of the weekend saying, well, you know, this kid had got th- uh, second so many times and so what? Uh, I'm sure we can come up with a list as long as our leg of past athletes who got really close to the big prize and never got there. Even if they ever got a chance to play in the big game or even play on the big team or even make the team. Life is filled with disappointments. It's how you react to them and what you learn from them that sets you apart from everybody else. And again, you know, I certainly understand the pain that one must feel when losing in such competition. But that's no excuse for any of this. I don't care who you are. This, to me, is a spoiled athlete who hasn't yet learned how to lose with dignity. And instead of looking inward at himself, he chooses to just throw the medal into the stands, as if it's not worth anything. I find that disappointing. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Rob Bell, sports psychologist, coach, and author of Don't Shoot On Our Kids Build Their Mental Toughness, and Dr. Rob Bell is with us now. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Thanks, Scott. Sorry, I was running behind, man. Oh, that's okay. Uh, explain the uh, the title of your book.
4: Oh, sure. Don't should on your kids. We try not to say it three times fast. But <laughs> it's all about uh, it's all about allowing parents to allow their kids to take ownership of their development and and their growth through sport and uh, all the benefit that sport can provide and allowing them that journey.
0: All right, we're going to listen to the clip of uh, this medal actually being tossed here. Go ahead. The Swedes have won gold twice in this tournament in 1981 and then West Germany in 2012 in
3: Calgary. Since then, they've won silver 12 times over that period. Elias Anderson just threw his silver medal over the glass. I know he's disappointed.
0: That's not right. Dr. Rob Bell, sports psychologist, is with us. What are your thoughts on this, uh, Rob, when you see something like this happen?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times when, when that happens, I mean, you know, Lars is, is an experienced player, and he's been in those situations, and he's, and he's come up short a couple of times with that Swedish team. And, and really what he did in that situation is he reacted and he didn't respond, and I think a lot of times when we react, it's usually wrong, uh, no matter what what part of life it's in, and and that's where I think that he, he kind of messed up. I'm sure looking back at it now, he probably regrets it, and, and it was just selfish, you know. And and I hope that he just kind of learns from that, and and you know can just become a better professional from that example. Is there any excuse for this? Well, no, not really. I mean, you know, the you I mean losing sucks. It's it's not any fun. I think that's why we can kind of relate for him. I I give him I don't give him a pass on this, but I kinda can understand where he's coming from and and you know the only bad part there is, you know, as a captain, he's gotta focus on his teammates there. He's gotta focus on those that are really important to him, which are his loved ones, which are those that have been with him throughout this whole time. And and I think if he was focusing on them and not just himself and how he was feeling then he probably wouldn't have made that decision, and and that's the piece that I think he'll grow from it. You know, becoming a leader.
0: Uh, the fact that he was a captain, how does that change the discussion?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, from a captain, I mean, you're you're the one setting the tone. Um, you know, the the other players look to you. Um, you know, coach looks to you, and and you have a lot more responsibility. A lot more responsibility comes a lot more, uh, you know, rights and, and privileges. But but with that, I mean. You know, I always get back to this, and what I was taught when I was little, and I always remember this, like, when you win, you say nothing, and when you lose, you say less. Hmm. So it, it's just getting back into that of, um, you know, I, I just, I know he'll get the message from it, and what would really be disappointing is if later on, if he's a professional and if he can't lose with dignity in, in class as well, then, then it'd be more disappointing, I think.
0: Uh, What about the fact that he has lost several times? Um, I mean, that sort of, I guess, as you mentioned, helps you understand it, but it doesn't make it necessarily uh, right. Uh, That being said, do you think he thought about this beforehand at all,
4: or it just was a reaction? I think it was a reaction, Scott. I mean, you know, when they're in that kind of situation, I know what that locker room was probably like beforehand, and they thought they were going to win. You know I've never been with a team going into a championship game thinking that they're going to lose, so when they do lose, I think it's complete numbness. I don't think that they're just really in their right mind at that time, and I don't think it was anything premeditated. I just think it was it was so much frustration um, built up to that and again, I'm not excusing it at all. I'm just trying to kind of explain, hey maybe maybe where this where this kid was at. I mean again, nineteen years old, hopefully he'll grow from that
0: uh do you think that these kids have been coached how to lose uh you know there were some that were lying on the ice kind of you know i mean do you, do you think at the end of the day that this is a message that the coach needs to have with the team hey if it goes this way this is what we do if it goes that way this is what we do just as you said you yeah. know say you yeah know, don't say much say even less when you lose
4: yeah i think that's a great point i think that's the point that you know, anyone that was watching that should have probably got out of this. And I read your piece on it about your son watching it is, yeah, it, it's up to our coaches to teach them how do we lose and how do we respond in those situations and how a lot of this grieving process needs to take place in private. It doesn't need to take place where, again, all the cameras are on and where people can see that's, that's definitely not the time to do it. And I think that's, that's the piece of, uh, yeah, we need to teach how to lose. I mean, the reality is this. is In all parts of life, we're going to lose more than we're ever going to win. Mm. And so, yeah, we've, we have to get used to that process. And, and again, I'm 40 years old. I'm still not used to it. It stings to the core. Mm. But, but hopefully I get a little bit better at it.
0: How do you think the coach or the team would have reacted to this? Because at the end of the day, only the one did it, and it's not like they all
4: pitched them into the crowd. Yeah, again, I mean, that that's the piece where him being a captain, I think, was probably the most disappointing part, you know? Well, I think a lot of, and, and again, I mean, as a captain, he's the first one to go up there, he sets the tone for it a lot of times. A lot of these guys are just feeling numb at all that piece, and that, man, if we can just respond rather than react, then we're cool, calm, and collected, and I think we just make better decisions.
0: Uh, is this a good teaching moment for other kids?
4: Oh, for sure, absolutely. And I think that's that's probably the key moving forward here. And, and same thing. I mean, when Cam Newton loses the Super Bowl, um, and you see his reaction to it, and people pile on because no one wants to see somebody that can't lose with you know with class with dignity. So I think that's the piece of definitely showing youth, hey, here's how not to do it, and. And then prepping them on it. Like look, you know, if you play a sport, you're naked in front of the gods. When you go between those lines, you can lose. That's the reality of it. So being able to prep them for that experience and what that's going to be like, because it really is. It's gut wrenching. It's really, really difficult, I think, for the youth to handle that, especially when they're really, really good, they're winning all the time. Hmm. And they're being told how great they are all the time. They're not losing a whole lot, so they don't have to experience it. If the first time they're experiencing losing then is on the real big, big stage a lot more difficult to
0: deal with. Talk about the pressure that these uh, athletes are under, even at this age. Uh, Are we teaching them enough on how to handle this? I mean, again, as you mentioned, these are moments that, you know, one gears their whole life towards, uh, only to lose. Uh, Are we teaching them enough other than just the sport they're learning to play?
4: Well, that's a great point. That's where I think, you know, the beauty of sport by itself doesn't teach these character moments. Like what that moment now requires is somebody taking people aside and saying, look, I think you reacted poorly in this manner, and here's how I'd like to see you grow from it. And that is all on the coach or the parent that's going to be in that person's life to be able to pull them aside. So these are, these are definitely teachable moments, but they've got to have that teacher. I, I kind of say this as well, Scott, like, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And we, we learn so much more from losing than we, than we ever do from winning.
0: Uh, even if you've lost like four or five times to a championship like this? <laughs> like, I'm sure that's what he's saying yeah. right now. I mean, he's probably sitting here, you know, that sounds fine, doctor, but geez, I've been here, I've been lost like four or five times. How, what more can I possibly learn from this?
4: Right, and, and then that's the piece right there where it's going to determine his mental toughness. I mean, the only reality is if you never want to have that feeling, then quit. Don't play. Because you can still go through your whole career and experience that feeling again and again and again. What mm. matters is, can you can you come back stronger and more developed than you were before? And and the only thing we can ever do is to look back and say, did I do everything I can? And that's the piece there where if, if we can look back and say, you know, yeah, if only I would have done this in practice, if only I would have done this, then that's the part that really stings. But the mental toughness is going to show on if we can keep coming back, then, then that's going to show the heart of a true champion.
0: Would he have not learned that the first or second or third time that he lost? I mean, was this building up inside him? Perhaps he never knew how to accept it?
4: Yeah, probably. And, again, that, that's a lot of times on, you know, are we coached on, on what that's like? Um, and I think, you know, with athletes a lot of times going into these big games, they're not thinking about what if we lose. You know, they're not thinking that at all. They're only thinking about we are gonna win because we are that good. So when that happens, it really is. It's such a shock to the system um that I, I don't think they're thinking straight at that point. Um it's it's the same thing as if you know, if if we're gonna put a, a microphone in somebody's face like right after they lose, a lot of times we're not gonna get the best reaction from them at that point. And and, and who knows, sometimes that's we want, right? But um it's uh I don't think it ever gets easier. I think sometimes it even gets harder. How do you think he's feeling today about this? Uh, probably still numb. I think it's complete numbness. I don't. I don't know. I mean, there's probably some anger in there. There's probably some sadness, and there's a regret. Um, you never. You never want to have to do things. I think to then apologize for afterwards because he have nothing to apologize for for his play, for his leadership. I mean, he played incredible. Yeah. But, but now he, now he ha- does have to apologize, and now that's the part where that, that's the part that probably stinks.
0: So how does he handle this moving forward? What does he do? What, what advice would you give him?
4: is, um, is simply how, how can we use this as a teachable moment. I think, you know, if he's able to take the stage, if he's able to use this platform to make his mess become his message— if he could help kids, because kids aren't going to listen to our parents a lot of times, they're going to listen to coaches, they're going to listen to him
0: mm.
4: And if he, and if he's able to address the kids in the hockey nation say, "Look, here's what I did, you all saw it, here's the mistake. I hope we all can learn from that one, and I think that that could definitely be a big piece moving forward.
0: Uh, do you think this means he's at a certain level in his career or not at a certain level of his career does he can he move forward without dealing with this in some way
4: boy that's that's a tough question right there. Um, I think he can definitely grow from this point and and that's where this is going to be a moment that either we'll look back on and say well see he was that type of player you know that's that's how he actually loses or we're going to look back and, and see, well, no, nope, he, he got better from that moment.
0: Dr. Rob Bell has been with us, sports psychology coach, author of Don't Should On Our Kids, Build Their Mental Toughness. Rob, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated.
4: Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it, you, man. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3
0: on AM 900-CHML. Last month, Canada unveiled their 23-person roster for the women's hockey team that will head to South Korea. One of them is Sarah Nurse, local Hamiltonian, and of course, a member of Canada's women's hockey team for the Winter Olympics in South Korea come 2018, next month, a month away really from now. Sarah Nurse is with us now. Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this.
5: Hi, absolutely. No problem.
0: So tell us what you're doing. Tell us what life's like for you now.
5: Yeah, well, life's calmed, calmed down a little bit. Um, our schedule's kind of lightened up. We're not playing as many games as we had um, the first half of the season before the roster was unveiled, but we're still working hard and preparing for uh, when we go to Korea next month.
0: So what is the daily ritual like for you at this point a month out?
5: Yeah, um, so now we're kind of in our Olympic simulation month, so we simulate you know, our day-to-day life, I guess. Today was we're simulating what opening ceremony is going to be like. So we had a light skate this morning, um, and then we have, like, fun activity later today. I we think we're going axe-throwing.
0: Sorry, say that again?
5: I think we're going axe-throwing later today.
0: Axe-throwing. Yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to let off a little tension, I guess.
5: Yeah, let off a little steam.
0: How do you balance this? Uh, you know, I mean, this is not, well, I guess Olympics are new to you, but certainly competition isn't. There's, there's a method, there's a means, how you prepare and such. How is it different now? How, and just with all the extra distraction that goes with the Olympics?
5: I guess for us, uh, the most important thing is kind of focusing on the, the end goal. You know, there's going to be a lot of distractions when we get to the Olympics. There are other events. There are a lot of people there, um, media, things like that. But I think uh, we've worked hard this year year to kind of eliminate those distractions and just prepare us for when we're actually there. How
0: much of the last month actually centers around playing hockey? Uh, How much practice do you actually have?
5: Um, We've definitely lightened the load. Uh, We played something like 16 games before December 21st, and this month we only have five uh, leading up to when we leave for Korea, so it's definitely lightened up a bit. Uh, We still practice almost every day, but it's definitely lighter skates.
0: How do you, what's the headspace when you're in these last couple of games heading up to this? What are you working on? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish at this point?
5: I think at this point, it's just refining little details of um, our overall game. We've worked on our systems throughout the entire year. We've worked on tactics, skills, um, things like that. But it's just honing in the little things and focusing on those little habits that are hopefully going to win us a gold medal.
0: What is the feeling uh, inside the dressing room knowing that you guys, girls, are all going to the Olympics? What is that vibe like, uh, especially when it's new to you?
5: It's definitely a sense of accomplishment. I think um, you look around, we have a good mix of veteran players and rookie players, and the vets have been nothing but supportive, and they've kind of shared their experiences with us, and they told us kind of how proud they are of how we've all stepped up and uh, earned a spot on this team.
0: What have they told you some of your biggest challenges might be as someone who's done it compared to someone who hasn't? Uh, Did they give you any tips as to what you can expect and what you can't expect?
5: I think they just mostly talked about distractions. Um, There's so many things going on in Olympic Village uh, when you get there. And so I think they just kind of talked about, you know, remember why we're there. We can enjoy We have time to enjoy, um, time with our family, time with our friends um, while we're there. But ultimately, we're there to play. Uh, Haley
0: Wickenheiser, of course, no longer with the team, a great part of the team for for a long period of time. How has that leadership role changed within the team?
5: Um, I think we have a lot of great leaders. You know, we have people who've been to, this will be Megan and Gus's fourth Olympics, I think. So we have a lot of veteran experience and a lot of good leadership. Um, I think just with that group, there's people who bring different things. You have people who lead by example. You have people who lead um, with their voices. So I think we have a great mix
0: uh what are you looking forward to most about going there
5: i think i'm looking forward to seeing um just the other athletes compete um you know when you watch the olympics on tv it's so it seems so absolutely amazing and so i think i'm really looking forward to going to see things like speed skating um even like the figure skating i think that'll be so cool uh what have they told
0: you about where you were going and how you prepare? how you prepare culturally for south korea
5: they haven't told us um, a bunch. I think uh, Hockey Canada does a great job of taking care of us, and so I don't think we're, we're going to be in for a bit of a culture shock, I think, but uh, we're lucky to be with them, and they're definitely going to ease us into it.
0: How do you keep the training ritual and even what you're eating uh, stable through all of this time? Because you are going to a different part of the world, all, you know, obviously.
5: Yeah, I think the lucky thing about what we do is we've had – experiences you know we've gone over to sweden finland russia places like that um a few times over our careers so we kind of know what to expect just with the food and things like that so that shouldn't be too too bad but um, i'm definitely just excited to experience new culture
0: and what is the family how does the family feel obviously you're from a very athletic family uh many members going over to watch how how, how is that all going to shake down for you
5: Yeah, I think I'm going to have a few um, people going over there. My parents are definitely going to make their way over. Um, I have a couple aunts and uncles who I think are going to make the trip, too, so I think that'll be really exciting.
0: All right, let's talk about Team USA. What are your thoughts right now a month out?
5: Um, I mean, they're good competition. We've had a great uh, six-game series with them. Uh, We came out really successfully, and so I think they're going to give us a good battle, but I think we're prepared, and I think we're going to take the gold. Uh, Who's the better team right now? Um, I would say that, obviously, I have full confidence in <laughs> our team's abilities. <laughs> Definitely have full confidence in us. I think we've really refined our game over the past few months. And although they've won a few past World Championships, I think uh, as we've prepared throughout these last few months, uh, we've really stepped up our game.
0: How h- how would you describe this rivalry between Canada and the United States? And what's your relationship? Because obviously, you know, you play school uh, school hockey down there. What What's it like with with other members of that team, what's the rivalry like?
5: It's definitely a fierce rivalry. Um, it's something that dates back to before a lot of us were even a part of it. And so I think just growing up, watching Canada and USA battle it out in the Olympic gold medal game has been something that's kind of ingrained us. And just kind of as far as, I know some girls on the American team, so definitely there's that rivalry there, but we're definitely all friends in the end. And, uh, even though it's going to come down to maybe one game, uh, I think, it'll be
0: okay. <laughs> so uh, tell us what your schedule is. Uh, when do you go? What's it? Li- what's life like for you when you get there?
5: We're leaving here at the end of the month, I believe, just to go over there, get um, kind of get jet lag out of us. So we're going to go over a few weeks earlier. Right. And I think we have some games lined up over there to play before we actually enter Olympic Village. So that'll be very fun.
0: So uh, what are you most looking forward to as this being your first experience on an Olympic team like this?
5: I think just uh, experiencing opening ceremonies. I saw a commercial for the Olympics just the other day, and it was kind of surreal to to think that I was actually going to be there instead of watching it at home on TV. And so I think definitely Olympic uh, opening ceremonies is going to be amazing.
0: Has it hit you yet that you're a member of this team as it sunk in?
5: Um, I don't know. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it's kind of you can't believe it's real. I think maybe when we get all our little apparel package and all the clothing, it'll seem real.
0: So, uh what advice do you have for other girls, other whether it's girls or boys that are heading down this road? Obviously, we come from a city where uh, you know, it's produced a lot of great hockey players over the years, uh, lots of parents, uh, you know, helping their kids along the way. Are, are kids aware of the commitment that it takes to do what you do?
5: Um, I definitely think of myself, and I thought it was this big kind of glamorous experience, but it, it's definitely a lot of hard work, and it's a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of commitment, and that's something that I've learned along the way, and I've definitely embraced. Um I think as you go through your hockey career, I think the most important thing for me is to have the confidence in yourself. And if you don't have the confidence in yourself, no one else is going to have it. So I think you can't count yourself out when it comes to things like that and competition. So that's something that's really helped me.
0: Uh, During this journey from, uh, you know, stage one to get to where you are as a member of the Olympic team, did you ever question any of this? Did you ever think, man, this this is a lot. I'm just not sure if I can do this.
5: Of course. I think uh, we come to the rink every day. We're here almost nine to five, I guess. And so every day, it's kind of like you're competing for a spot. It's a tryout, ultimately. So, you know, there are definitely you have good days, you have bad days. You kind of think, hey, is this is this going to work out for me? Um, but ultimately, you have to have that confidence and you have to have that willingness to compete for a spot.
0: How confident were you that you were going to make this team?
5: I think I went through ups and downs at the beginning of this journey. I definitely think that I was on the outside of the bubble. um, But I was very proud of the way that I kind of worked myself in. And once kind of the the day came for cuts and we had our meetings, I was very kind of at peace with the whole thing because at that point, it was out of my hands. Um, The coaches were going to take who they were going to take. And if it was going to be me, awesome. And if it wasn't, I kind of had no regrets about the whole experience.
0: How do you deal with loss? Do you mean game loss? <laughs> yeah, or, 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 or any setback in your career.
5: I think the important thing is, is to reflect on it. You know, you learn a lot of things from losing. And so I think you have to reflect on that, but you have to find something that you, that you can learn from it. And you have to take it, and you have to take that experience and keep going. Because you can't just sit on that loss and think, well, what was me, cry me a river kind of thing. You have to take that experience, and you have to learn from it.
0: Is that hard to do? Or once, you figure it, or once you figure it out, it's quite easy?
5: I think uh, we have a lot of help. We have uh, actually a mental skills coach here who's helped us all a lot. But I think it is a, it's a definitely a hard skill to master, and I definitely don't think that I have. But I think you find little strategies, because every person's different. So you have to find your own strategy to cope with that.
0: Uh what can you do what do you do in the dressing room before a game how can can you judge how the team's feeling can you judge whether it's going to be a good game or not how do you how do you take those moments before the game starts and elevate it to the next level
5: I guess we have a lot of different personalities on our team we have people who definitely get the room going and pump people up and you have those people who you know they need to be in their zone and they need to be serious so I think the key to success for our team is we're, we're very light. We like to have a great time, and so I think when we keep it light before games, we're kicking the soccer ball around, things like that. Um, I definitely think that that takes our game to the next level.
0: Uh, I was asking you earlier how you dealt with loss, and in, in reason being, I, I, I'm I'm sure you heard of the incident uh, with the world World Juniors on Friday and the Swedish captain mm-hmm. throwing his medal into this into the stands. Your thoughts on that?
5: Um. I guess it's definitely heartbreaking to take a loss like that. You know, you saw the emotion on his face, so you definitely feel for him. Um, I guess at that point, I know he is young. You have to be a professional. And so I think when you're kind of that young role model for kids, uh, you definitely have to put on a professional front. But I definitely feel for him because I understand that it's tough to get that silver medal.
0: Uh can you can we learn from that is there something that young people can learn from that is that something that you may or and your teammates may discuss over the course of all of this on you know what happens if things do go south how are we going to react do you talk about stuff like that or is it all about winning
5: (laughs) we definitely talk a lot about winning because we definitely want to have that winning mindset um i guess for us again it's the professional thing we have we're representing hockey canada and so when we do something, it reflects on the entire organization. So we have to be definitely very wary of that, and uh, that's something that we've talked about a little bit.
0: Talk about uh, women's hockey, Sarah, and, and how it's progressed. Uh, i got two kids, 10 and 14, the girl's 14. She's been playing hockey since she was 7. It's just amazed me to no end how this sport has taken off, uh, especially in, in southern Ontario. Uh, talk about the rise of girls' hockey and, and where it's at right now.
5: Yeah, I think the growth has been incredible. I think I look back to when I even started playing. I played boys um, up until I was 10 years old, I guess. And so I was actually lucky. I got to play girls and boys for about three years at the same time. Um, But I think that just the growth and the commitment to the game has been incredible. You know, we had such amazing support through big organizations putting on different camps and just for players' development. So I think it's become absolutely amazing.
0: Uh, what what do you why do you think that that girls hockey has taken off in Canada the way that it has? Uh, why do you think there's interest in your team so much and just generally in girls playing the sport?
5: I guess if you look at um, women's hockey, Team Canada's it's the top. You know, guys yeah. can go to the NHL, they can play in different leagues across the world, but playing on Team Canada is definitely where every girl wants to be. So I think that if we set a good example. Girls growing up can see that and they'll want to be us one day. And so I think that's definitely been a huge help. Uh,
0: again, uh, having two kids in, in minor hockey, I've, I've certainly seen mixed teams and, you know, in my son's tournaments and stuff. What's it like being the girl on the boys' hockey team?
5: Honestly, it's pretty cool. Um, there's a camaraderie within a hockey team. And I think looking back, you know, all the guys definitely protected me. Um, we had a great relationship. Growing up, you know, I got to grow up with some of those guys. And so I think it's, it's honestly kind of awesome. Uh, people are really surprised when they see a girl out there and they're kind of like, oh, that's a that's a girl? She's pretty good. <laughs> so it's, it's awesome.
0: What about the competition between other players on the team?
5: Um, I don't think I had – within the team, I don't think it was too bad. Um, I mean, even as a young kid – I think roles on teams are identified. And so it wasn't too bad competition within the team. I would definitely say it was worse within the league.
0: Now, when you're out on the ice playing other teams, did that, was that, you know, other than people going, oh, there's a girl on the ice. I mean, did, 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 did anyone ever treat you any differently? Was it any different? Was it just hockey?
5: I guess for me being that young, it was just hockey. And there was obviously outside noise that I guess my parents probably had to deal with. But for me, it was just playing hockey. And I was and I'm very lucky that my parents kind of sheltered me from that, sheltered me from that, and kind of took that took that on their shoulders.
0: Uh, what advice do you have for young players, uh, male or female, who who are considering this? Uh, and of course, the amount of time and and effort you have to commit to such a thing, uh, playing rep, playing select, that's one thing. But actually, putting in the time and the commitment is another thing. Uh, um, what are your what sort of tips can you give for to kids about that?
5: I would say looking back on my career, just be so gracious and be so thankful of your parents and even your siblings. You know, they're going to sacrifice just as much, if not more, um, just as much as you are being able to play this sport. So I'd say you have to give your best foot forward every single day and you have to work hard because there are other people who this affects. So I would definitely say just work hard and be gracious.
0: Uh, again, being a parent of kids in minor hockey, there's always those parents that seem to think their kids are going to be uh, the next Sarah Nurse or the next whoever. Um, uh, how do you tell if your kid's playing too much hockey, not enough hockey? How can you tell if they're really interested in this and, and want to keep going? How, how do we know when to push and when not to push?
5: I guess you have to kind of you kind of have to look at your kids and see, you know, do they have that passion? Um, For me, I'm a huge supporter of multi-sport children. You know, I grew up and I played hockey in the winter, put it away for the summer. I played soccer. I played lacrosse, different things like that. But ultimately, I wanted to go back to hockey every year. So, I mean, if you take kind of take that away from them, honestly, and then see if they want see if they want that and see if they have that drive. So that was huge for me.
0: You know, that's a very interesting point. I remember interviewing Walter Gretzky and he would say that about Wayne, that Wayne would never pick up a hockey stick after the season was over. It was then it was on to a baseball bat. Do you think it's too much hockey now? And as a result, some kids get burnt out because they don't have that variety that you did.
5: I think, yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to play hockey 12 months a year when you're seven or eight years old. I definitely think you get burnt out. And I think just different experiences. You have different friends when you play uh, the different sports. So I think it's so beneficial.
0: What's been the best thing about playing hockey for you?
5: Definitely just the people I've met. I've met so many different people um, just when I made the Olympic team. The amount of people who reached out, who I played with when I was maybe. 10 years old, Um, so I think just those relationships that you've been able to keep and kind of grow throughout the years.
0: Sarah Nurse has been with us, Hamiltonian on Canadian, our Canada's women's hockey team heading for the Winter Olympics of course in South Korea. Sarah, congratulations to you for making the team. You've made us all very proud. We're all going to be watching and good luck.
5: Thank you so much.
0: The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.